To me, you should be proud of seeing someone doing their thing. Yeah, for sure. Because we all come from the same place. So when you see someone who's got a nice car or got some nice jewelry or, you know, given a nice house, don't be your first instinct, oh, let me take that. Yeah. Your first instinct to, should be, let me applaud that person. Like, you know, let me use that as motivation to get my life going. But that's, you know, yeah. the nature of the game. I come from the hood, so I understand that. But there's just no code. There's no mentality. There's no respect of people's life. For sure, but I, I think in order to be able to see it that way, you, you've had to do some work on yourself to be more evolved, you yeah. feel me? Like, if you're not evolved, you're gonna look at it very short-sighted, you yeah. feel me? Oh, you got that, I want that, Yeah. because that's money. Yeah. Yeah, it's very short-sightedness. But no. just, just the fact to not value another person's life is just, that's what I'm so disappointed at. For sure. In, in our community. Welcome back, guys, to episode number 83 of Connection is Magic. This is the season four premiere of the show. Thank you so much for sticking on the journey this long with me. It's been an absolute honor bringing these conversations to you. This week, another special guest, no exceptions. Today, we have Che Pope on the show. He's a longtime music industry veteran responsible for producing the iconic album, the miseducation of Lauren Hill for Lauren Hill. He was head of Kanye West record label Good Music for seven years. He even scored films with the legendary film composer Hans Zimmer. Now, I do have to share something. How this interview even came to be is a crazy story. I happened to be visiting Detroit, Michigan, and the day I landed, I get a flyer texted to me from a friend who says there is a music business panel happening in Detroit that same evening. So I show up and today's guest happened to be one of the four panelists sitting there. And I heard him share about how four of his closest friends committed suicide who worked in the music business, which is super tragic. And that is the exact reason that I wanted to start the show is because there is so much that people endure in life in general, but in the entertainment space, particularly where it's built on ego, it's built on certain facades that people do not want to let others know about themselves. And therefore they suffer in silence and that suffering just escalates until it gets to the point where people can no longer take it. This at its core is a mental health entertainment industry show. So I knew I had to talk to this guy after the panel went up to him, told him what was up with the show, what I've been doing, and he said yes right away to coming on. So pretty wild story about how this interview came to be. In this episode, we get into him being at Biggie's very first ever live performance, learning from things going left on his production work for Miss Lauren Hill, as well as life-changing advice he received from Quincy Jones, which he shares with us that was such an incredible gem. I can't wait to have you guys check this episode out. Here we go. Welcome, everybody, to Connection is Magic. I'm your host, Samson Shulman, a former music executive turned podcaster and coach. In a world obsessed with the highlight reel and keeping our difficulties hidden behind the curtain, we end up feeling lonely and isolated, and opportunities for human connection are missed. On this podcast, we dive deep with our guests and get them to share those dreaded, unfiltered pieces. We learn how to make lemonade out of life's lemons and realize adversity isn't sent to break us, but rather shape us into the greatest versions of ourselves. We appreciate you spending some time with us. Now let's begin our journey back home to Connection. Welcome everybody back to a very special episode of Connection is Magic. Today we have Che Pope in the building. Thank you so much for coming. Yeah, thanks or, for having me. Thank you. Thank you for having well, me, actually. Yeah, actually, this yeah. Is your, I was going to say, got, we're in my building now. Yeah. Home court right now. I don't know what the spread is. We got to check yeah. with Vegas. But we're, but, uh, in my, we're in, you know, honestly, we're in my comfort place. Like, you know, my where I'm most at home is the studio. So yeah. this is a great yeah. place to do it. No, this is, I'm, I'm super uh, excited about what you got going on right now. We'll dig a little bit more into yeah. it. But um, man, all right, so it's like, I'm trying to figure out how to use the time we have because you've done a lot of shit in your career. <laughs> you, you have a lot of Thank gems you. to share. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so let's just let's just kick it back just for just for a moment. Um, you grew up in Boston. Yeah. And and just tell me real quick about like Boston's music scene. Like I, to be honest, like I'm not super well versed in it, but like yeah. I want to know what shaped you. Well, you know Bo- what I mean? Boston is like 
you know, one of those, like, especially these East Coast cities, like to me, Boston, Philly, mm-hmm. I guess you could say New York, but definitely um, even even Chicago uh, always, and, and Detroit, very neighborhoody. I grew up in an area called um, Dorchester and Roxbury, Dorchester specifically. That's also where like the Wahlbergs are from. Sure. You know what I mean? So there's like almost like the black side of Dorchester and then more the white side, even yeah. though now it's much more gentrified. But but it, growing up then, it was more like that side and on our side. And then I also went to school, though, in Brookline, mm-hmm. which is a predominantly Jewish community. Um, but the great thing about it was it's just like the clash of like the cultures, right? So growing up in, you know, in Roxbury and my family, you know, my dad was probably into like R&B or classic R&B and, and jazz and different things. My aunt was maybe a little more progressive. And then going into the, you know, other community and going in, you know, going to middle school in Brookline and going to high school in Brookline, I got introduced to all kind of rock and I also got introduced to punk rock. Okay. So, you know, I started being really diverse in that world as well, like knowing about the Dead Kennedys and the Ramones, you know, in eighth grade and, you know, freshman in high school, you know. You've always been eclectic then. Yeah. It's safe to say, right? Uh Yeah, I would say 14 is when I really got into music. Mm -hmm. Um, I ended up buying a friend of mine's turntables, like his, his leftover set. So then, you know, my family had a lot of vinyl. And then there was a lot because the Berkeley School of Music was right down yeah, the street. Yeah, sure. There was actually a lot of music, um, vinyl like music stores around us and mm-hmm. stuff like that. So I started going in. Yeah. You know, I didn't have a lot of money, but I could, you know, get used vinyl. Just and to stuff kick like it that. back on some nostalgia tip, like yeah. what's the first cassette tape you bought? And then I'll tell you mine. <laughs> <sighs> I don't know. The first cassette? Yeah. I don't know if I remember my first cassette. Your was, first purchase of vinyl, yeah, my, my, yeah, my first two purchases of vinyl was first was um, Slick Rick. And Dougie mm-hmm. Fresh, Lottie mm-hmm. Dottie, and the show. One side was Lottie Dottie, one side was the show. And then the other one was uh, UTFO, Roxanne, Roxanne. Those okay. were the first two pieces of vinyl I got. And I got those when I was relatively young. I don't remember what year they came out in. But, nice. Know, yeah, I didn't have turntables. I used my parents' turntables okay. and I bought those. Those were my first two. Cassettes, I think I was a little bit more... And I still, because I had turntables, mm-hmm. I tend to buy more vinyl yeah. than cassettes because I could just make my own cassette. You know? Sure. So I didn't really buy too many cassettes. I always bought the vinyl. But let's fast forward to when you're like, I want to work in the music business. Like, when did that hit you? And obviously, you didn't have any family that worked yeah. in the music business. Am I right? No. And so there's these barriers, right, Shay? So well, I want to know, how did you and you remember these barriers? This time, you know, mm-hmm. given my age, there was no internet. There was no like how to enter the music business. So I had absolutely no clue how to enter it. I think I was fortunate the timing of it that I went to college and I went to college in Virginia. There was just this time that was happening in Virginia, Virginia Beach. I went, I went to school in Hampton, Hampton mm-hmm. University, but there was, you know, Virginia Beach was right there. Norfolk was right there. All these areas. So Alan Iverson was right there playing basketball. Pharrell and Chad were coming up you Timberland know, and yeah. Missy, right? Timberland yeah, and Missy. Yeah. Missy was from Portsmouth. Timberland was from Virginia Beach. They they were coming up and doing their thing. Yeah. Even though they kind of got started because they, they were working with Devante. So they actually went to upstate New York. I think he took them to Rochester, New York. So when I first met Pharrell and Chad, yeah. uh, I had a friend who actually grew up with Timberland. Uh, his name was one of Timberland's good friends. So I knew about Timberland from him, mm-hmm. but I didn't know about him, Tim until a little later. And I had met Tim a little later. But I had already known Chad and Pharrell. And then Teddy Riley had set up shop in Virginia Beach. And it was a, a chance meeting with um, Teddy, which is how I sort of entered the music business. So I can't, like, yeah, so I can't even say that I knew, knew that I wanted to be in the music business. I did music. I worked on getting better and better and better. What I would say is that there were these things that I was able to Kind of by, you know, I didn't have money. I was a college student. I didn't have money. But there were these things that were going on in these times like um, Jack the Rapper in Atlanta and um, How Can I Be Down in Miami. I did find my way to those things by any means necessary. So I do know, even if I didn't know, consciously know that I was trying to get in the music business, I was taking steps and networking with people and meeting people because I had already known Diddy. I had already knew like a bunch of people before. You met Diddy because he was throwing parties he in Virginia, throwing, you said, right? He was right? throwing parties mm-hmm. and there was only party and bullshit with Biggie. Right. So this was, he was getting, he, you know, this is just, this is before. He just left Uptown probably, This right? is Uptown, whatever, right? yeah. But mm-hmm. he was working on Biggie. So he had party and bullshit was out. So I know party and bullshit was out because, yeah. you know, they had a performance in Atlanta at the warehouse. It was Biggie's first performance in Atlanta. You were there for Biggie's yeah. first performance? Yeah, in Atlanta, party and bullshit. We, we you know, there's a, there's a song, there's a section <laughs> And party and bullshit where the, a fight breaks out. So we did this fake fight 
Oh, shit. On stage, like, and I was so you're in the fake fight. Technically on the record yeah, of Party and Bullshit. In, in the fake fight, and then yeah. a real fight broke out. Oh, shit. And so we were part of this real fight that broke out, broke out. So that was early big. Did you know he was going to be a superstar, like, like no, to that I mean, level? You got to remember, none right? of us knew anything. Like, none of us knew, literally, none of us yeah. knew anything. That's the thing about being young and dumb, but also fearless. I would say the one thing that we all had at that age, you know, the young guys, maybe not to the extremeness of, of maybe Diddy and Pharrell. But we all had kind of self-confidence and like our own swagger and this and that. So yeah. I mean, it's not a matter of like, you know, it, you didn't know Biggie was going to be, you know, maybe one of the greatest rappers of all time. But we all had the braggadocious of like, you know, we're just... We're, can we're, I say something doing, on that? Yeah. So if you don't believe in you, how can you expect somebody else to believe in you? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So I think we had that, you know, that just that young man and young men and women energy of just like, we don't know what this is, but we're going to... Yeah. You know. But with that comes a lot of this, right? Yeah. Especially on the early side. Yeah, because right? you don't know anything. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. And, and, know and that's why this is a Connection is Magic podcast, because I feel like a lot of, especially in music, you know, we had Tyler Creator's manager Clancy on here. Yeah. And, and, and he's like, smart, everything smart is... Smart dude. Him there, and yeah. his wife. That's some Jedi shit right yeah. there, right? They're on mm-hmm. some Jedi. But yeah. here's the thing. He's like, so it's all about the facade, you know, it's the ego and all that. So when people are going through a lot of the waves... They don't really talk about it. Yeah. You feel me? Kick it back to serendipity and how this whole thing got set up is I happened to catch you speaking at a panel. You don't know the backstory, but I had just touched down from LA that morning and my boy hit me. He's like, hey, you should go check this out. I get the flyer and it's like in two hours and I'm and I'm in Detroit. Okay. Isn't that crazy? That is crazy. So I come check you out. And in that, in that uh panel, you were talking about you've had friends who've killed themselves in this business. Yeah. Three, sadly. Three. You've had three. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You didn't know? Well, you, you knew that they were struggling say, a bit? Or? I would say one of the three, I knew um, there was some stuff going on. Not to that extent, mm-hmm. but definitely some stuff. You know, she was going through her mother past. She was African. Yeah. grew up in Sweden. Yeah. So when, it, when she came to Sweden and grew up, it was like her and her mother. Mm-hmm. So when her mother passed, there was extreme sadness and stuff going on, but never to the extent that had any indication that she was suicidal. Yeah. You know what I mean? You just don't know what's going on with people. It's just sad because you always feel like, you know, suicide is a permanent solution to a temporary problem. For sure. That, that, that you know, you 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 hope and you or believe that someone could get past. Mm-hmm. You know, obviously, you know, we've we've all lost people and and the ex- sadness is extreme. Yeah. But you know that person would want you to continue. You know what I mean? Yeah. So. To me, that underpins hip-hop, man. Yeah. Hip-hop is all about, right, transforming yeah. struggle into yeah. gold, whatever right, at the end of the day. On. Yeah, whatever you know? is going on yeah. in your life, yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, and it's sad what's going on with hip-hop. I mean, it's a larger statement. It's not just hip-hop. It's obviously a larger statement with, you know, black men in the inner city mm-hmm. because of the self-hate, um, you know, because I, I call it self-hate because mm-hmm. anytime, you know, you can kill someone that looks like you mm-hmm. and all this 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 violence going on, um, obviously, you know, rappers get targeted because of, of jewelry or whatever the case may be. But at the end of the day, it's still just black on black crime, which is for, for sure. Yeah, do, you, is, do you feel like some of that, though, is like I never became what I wanted to become in my life. So I'm just going to take your life. Fat Joe said yeah. that. I, think I mean, recently. there's always there's always jealousy and envy mm-hmm. and you get that. And there's always this thing called, you know, the crab in the bucket mentality yep. and all that. But what. I feel like when I grew up, there was always violence, right? You know what I mean? I grew up in a, you know, in the inner city and you had to watch your back and this and that. Yeah. But there was at least a little bit more of a code. Like just because someone would came to rob you, they weren't, they didn't come to kill you. You know, now granted, you you ain't give up, you you didn't give up your shit, you know? Yeah, that's different. different, But, and I also feel like that too, meaning Mm -hmm. it's the other side, why too? Like, so for instance, if someone pulls a gun on you Mm -hmm. and they just want your chain and your watch, give up your chain and your watch, live, live. Live to see your daughter. Live yeah. to see your children. Live to yeah. live for another day. Who cares about the material? Mm. You know, I mean, you know, and because you know, obviously, in the P and B rock and the and yeah. the pop smoke situation, yeah. you know, Nipsey, of course, n- n- to yeah. me too. Well, Nipsey was a different situation. Was it different? A different? Okay. Yeah, a little different. Um, whereas me and P and B and and um, uh, pop smoke, those were robberies, and obviously, it escalated into what it you know what what it became, and it's sad. Yeah, because, and that's what Fat Joe was speaking on. Yeah, he was like, yeah. you know, there was a time in Fat Joe's life where he mm-hmm. was, you know, he, well, he was, XXX Tentacion was more of that too, actually, because yeah. he was in the Beamer and you yeah. know trying to get, but and, yeah, and he, he fought, didn't want to give it up. He <laughs> fought back, you know. Yeah. B, obviously, yeah. I think his first response was, I yeah. don't know this for a fact, so I'm speculating. Yeah, but I think his first response was like, nah, mm-hmm. you know what I mean, and mm-hmm. um, 
And it's just like, just here. See, but let me just, can I, can I tell you my thoughts on that? Yeah. It's like, instead of being jealous about it, you could use that to, that's, a, that's an example to motivate you. Yeah. To, you know what I mean? Well, like it's, I think that's, in the, on, on the other side of it, that should be what it is. Yeah. To me, you should be proud of seeing someone doing their thing. Yeah, for sure. Because we all come from the same place. Yeah. So when you see someone who's got a nice car or got some nice jewelry or, you know, given a nice house, don't, don't be your first instinct, oh, let me take that. Yeah. Your first instinct should be, let me applaud that person. Like, you know, mm-hmm. let me use that as motivation to get my life going. But that's, you know, yeah. the nature of the game. But and and it, I, you know, I obviously, un- under- I come from the hood, so I understand that. But there's just no code. There's no mentality. There's no respect of people's life. For sure. But I, I think in order to be able to see it that way, you, you've had to do some work on yourself to be more evolved. You yeah. feel me? Like if you're not evolved, you're going to look at it very short-sighted. You yeah. feel me? Oh, you got that? I want that. Yeah. Because that's money. Yeah. Yeah. It's very short-sightedness. But no. just, just the fact to not value another person's life is just, that's what I'm so disappointed at. For in, sure. In, in our community. Hey guys, I'm now opening up a couple of very select spots to do coaching directly with me. If you are a creative and you feel bogged down, you have doubts, you need clarity, so, so common on the creative path. And sometimes we get the clarity and then it goes away and we have to fight to get the clarity back and push through these growth spurt points. If you find yourself in one of these points, I love nothing more than to support people in this space on their journey. Simply click the show notes description open that up and click on the word coaching. From there, you can easily schedule a call with me so I can hear more about where you're at and how I can support you on the creative journey. It's really tough to do that thing alone. So this is a chance for you to get some direct support from me. I'm in the second year of my master's in clinical psychology. I've been a training therapist. So I definitely also have that in my repertoire as well, be able to support people. Now let's get back to the show. You dropped a gem from I think it was a secondhand gem from Quincy Jones. Yeah, Quincy Jones. Can you please drop that again for the listeners? Still some of my best advice that I've gotten in life, Mm -hmm. especially in my career, and I've lived by it in my career. When things are going good, you know what I mean? Don't, don't, don't get too high. Yeah. Keep it in check. When things are going bad, same thing. Don't get too low, right? Because we know with low, when you go all the way down to the bottom, that's how people end up suicidal or or other issues or other things in their family, you know. Yeah. Whether it's substance abuse and, and things of that nature, that's how you go down a spiral with substance abuse or other things or, you know, whatever the case may be. His thing was, you know, fly in that middle space of don't get too high, but don't get too low. Can I you tell know? you where the challenge is, Che? Yeah. When shit pops off and shit, shit gets exciting, bro. I'm like, yeah. you know what I mean? Does, well, does, natural, do you get excited? I mean, I do, let's but I, I've always been, know? I've always been somewhat of an even tempered person in mm. general. So I don't think it's in my nature to get too I mean, all of us, right? Anyone can get gas or you yeah, feel, bro. feeling yourself and that's okay. Because we work so hard, I feel yeah. like. When you work really hard and you see a payoff, how do you like, how that's do you keep okay. that in check, bro? You just got to think know? about still like the, the same things, the basic things, whether you're religious or you're spiritual, whatever, just like treat people how you'd want to be treated and things like that. You just, yeah. you just don't lose sight of the basics. For and, sure. And, and people do, right? Because you can't <laughs> bro, help. Like, you just, bro, listen, yeah. I've been around the music business a long time and I would say the people that achieve really big success and still stay low to the earth, I would put that at like 8 to 10%, bro. I'm just going to keep yeah, it all the way 100. It is. <laughs> and, 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 and honestly, life can change yeah. you, right? You could have been an outsider, right? And like one of the people that didn't have a lot of friends growing up in the same when you get that money and now, you, now you're the guy or you're the, you're the girl. Bro, look the out. Yeah, and then it's like, <laughs> yeah. okay, all right, well, you know what I mean? I'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm stunting, you know, I I've literally seen people yeah. that wore no chains, very humble, very chilling. Then they got that money, came out, rings and chains. I was like, whoa, who's this? <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. All right. you, know, you know what I mean? Literally came back looking like Liberace. Like, and it was like, whoa, you just made a trip to Jacob, huh? You know, and you think of the Kanye song. I, yeah. I went to Jacob with 25. Yeah. You know, before yeah. I had all, and he would do it again. You know, That's what I mean? so real. I do feel like I understand it being. When you've never had money, yeah, and you know, and you want to shine, or you want to, you know, you want to look good, you know what I mean, and you do it, and yeah. I just, you know, for sure, he revisited that idea again. You just made me think about it. And can't tell me nothing. Yeah, like last night, woke up, bought a necklace. That's an ever-present thing for sure. Yeah. You were president of uh, Kanye's record label, Good yeah. Music, C- for like COO. I mean, COO. Yeah, okay. I mean, it wasn't really a titles thing because, to be honest with you, the way it worked, it. it, it you, you know, the title was COO, but I, this is how I think about good music and my experiences there. When I started working with Kanye, we already knew each <laughs> other beforehand. Mm-hmm. And we actually had gotten together and we were talking about, I had an investor 
that was interested potentially in investing in Kanye's fashion brand and so on and so forth. And what happened was when I first met with Kanye, you know, we had did a couple of meetings. What I, what came of that, I realized that there was no infrastructure mm-hmm. on what he was doing on the fashion side. There was no business plan. There was no financial structure. You know, he was making clothes, but he didn't know what he was just yeah. figuring it out. So the investor was like, you know, he just backed away from it. And then, so I think me and Kanye just met. We were in a hotel room in Boston, actually. Uh, he was on uh, on the, on tour. And he said to me, you know, Chad, I got this, <laughs> I got this record label. Mm-hmm. I really need help with that. You know what I mean? You're down to help me. And I basically told him, I was like, you know, I'm, I'm like a hired assassin. So the misconception mm-hmm. is that I ever worked for Kanye. I never worked for Kanye. Mm-hmm. So Kanye hired my company mm-hmm. and my company, you know, facilitated the services of Chapo. Okay, so, so we can't truth. believe everything we read on the internet is what you're yeah, saying. Because so I feel I mean, like on the internet, of, it's like, a, you know. Well, a lot of people want to give titles. Right, at one time, right. the titles as president. One time, the titles as COO. Yeah. Really, and truth be told, mm-hmm. it was really just my company. And Good Music didn't really have a staff. I mean, it was me and Noah, Kanye's engineer. Yeah. With the main Noah two Noah Goldstein, people. right? Yeah. It was really me and Noah Goldstein that were really Good Music staff, if you will. So let's just get like the preface just real quick, just for the for the clarity, right? Yeah. So, so where was the first time that you actually met Kanye or whatever? Because I, f- I assume it happened before this Along, meeting, I right? Met, yeah, I met so. Kanye in, in KG from Naughty by Nature's backyard. And that's no just shit. when he moved to Newark. Wow. So I knew John Minop for years and I've known G and hip hop for years. And John Minop was Ye's first manager, yeah, right? Manager yeah, yeah, early yeah, yeah. on. And John Minop and Don C are, are, yeah. are cousins. And that's how even Don C met, you know, met Ye. So I knew about yay even before i ever met him so when i met him in kg's backyard i was like oh what up and he was a fan of the miseducation so he was aware of me when you met yay did you see what you know cootie rock who who put together the whole netflix you know three-part thing you you couldn't tell that that was gonna happen the only thing i knew him for was beats i didn't know about the music that you know i know about the artist thing till later on i think you know i knew about him probably around the time jesus walks yeah you know was with his thing but um yeah i didn't know the rap side of him you know I yeah. think Minot might have told me, you know, but I don't, but, you know. Because it's just everything that was winning yeah. then was like jerseys and well, whole, you know, it was we a different were, vibe. We were in it. It was, yeah. you know, New York was, it was a very competitive time. Then. Yeah. It was like Sparta. You think of that 300 movie? Yeah. That, that, that's, that's, yeah. that's what New York was at this time. It was like Sparta, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? It was like going in and playing your tracks for 20 dudes from Wu-Tang. You know what I mean? <laughs> you had to go in there. You had to be like, yeah, you know, yeah. you had to, you know what I mean? It was literally like Sparta. So, um, you know, and so, you know, obviously when, you, when you're nice with the beats, you, your name yeah. travels, you know what I'm saying? For sure. Producer circles. So let's kick it back to when you guys, you had this meeting and Ye is like, yo, Che, I need help with this label. Yeah. So what's the first order of business? I'm just curious. What was um, the very first thing? Well, you know, this was, this was a, you know, Watch the Throne tour. So I went on tour with him for Watch the Throne. While we were on the Watch the Throne tour, we were working on Crew Summer. Mm-hmm. Um, that was the first project. Crew Summer went through many iterations of, you know, one time it was the direction of this. One time it was almost going to be an instrumental project. It was a lot of different directions from it. And we really did crew summer all over the world. We did it in a Lands, Lansborough ho- uh, Hotel in, in London. Mm. I mean, we had eight rooms. I mean, they had mm. the royal family mm. staying there, mm. right there. And, you know, we had like Manny Fresh, Hit Boy, da da da, you know, Mike Dean, Anthony Killar, all these people. So it was, it was, it was really, you know, Dre, coming from the Dre environment, Dre was a very controlled environment. We worked in Dre's studio and we worked in Hawaii. Kanye was the opposite. Mm. We recorded all over the place. Mm. You know what I mean? We set up in hotel rooms. We set up here, there, you know. Which I heard in, in prep in preparing for this interview, I heard you say that that opened your eyes to like, oh, I could get inspiration from this house in Spain, yeah. right? You well, t- that, t- tell well, us he, about he, that. You know, he had all these art cats around, like a Virgil, right? Yeah. He had all, you know, an art. And obviously now I, it all makes sense in terms of like where Kanye got some of this information yeah. from. You know, when Kanye's talking about a Brazilian architect, you know, I'm not saying that Kanye didn't pick that up on his own, but most likely Virgil had a master's in architecture. Mm-hmm. So most likely he learned about that from Virgil or some of these other, I mean, he had all these incredible, you know, art people around. Like, look at the things they're doing now. I mean, you know, Willow Peron, who has his own design firm and is amazed, doing amazing things. And For sure. But yeah. I think this is a super important point to put out there about, like, yeah. always try and keep fresh inspiration as a creative. Like, I heard you share, like, you took the plaques. You had a lot of plaques on your yeah. walls. You took that down. You put, like, Nina Simone up there. You yeah, put I all only these, have my heroes like, in there. I, I can't. Yeah, because to me, when the— It's just me, and I can't speak for anyone else. I mean, some people maybe could look at their compliments and, and keep them motivated. For me, it's like, that's the past, and I'm moving forward. And so when, and, and I always want to look forward and it's, it, it's nice to, 
know that you've accomplished things, but I'm still on the mission. Mm. I'm still on the Ooh, mission. Che, yeah, bring yeah. that in real quick, yeah, bro. I'm, I'm Listen, still on the mission. Okay. So I'm not, you know, I've got tunnel vision. Bro, I, you know, I love that. I have respect to my accomplishments in terms of, you know, when I'm all said and done mm-hmm. and, you know, I got kids, hopefully, and grand, I mean, I got kids, but my grandkids and things of that nature, yeah. I can talk to them about those experiences and we can look back on those things. But when the studio, I just want my heroes around me. Another weird synchronicity moment, man. Like, I love the way you said all that. Uh, I'm reading, you know, Eli Bro, like the mm-hmm. famous philanthropist yep. or whatever. Yep. So I'm reading his book right now. And he literally talked to the Bro Museum all the time. There you go. Yeah. I mean, the Bro's fire, right? Yeah. But, but, he, but he literally said that in a book. He's like, the two most dangerous times are like, you know, when when you've had a huge setback, you can kind of like, you could lose your steam and you could lose your belief. And he's like, also, when you've had huge success, because now you stop digging for what's inside of you exactly. and you just chill. Yeah. And I think that's the people that do that. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, God bless them if they, you know, that's the life they want. But I think to me, the key to longevity or life mm-hmm. or, you know, is is staying learning every day. Never stop progressing and learning or finding new challenges and new adventures, you know. You produced the miseducation of Lauren yeah, Hill, yeah. which became the miseducation one of, of the people who produced it. One yeah. of the people who produced it. Yeah, shout, and out, that, shout out to James Poison. Okay. Shout out, James. We yeah. see you. Yeah. <laughs> and, and and that actually ended up being a huge learning lesson for you. But let's just stay with the success piece for a second because yeah. that was a monster success. Mm-hmm. Did you feel yourself going to, man, I could coast a little bit now. I just worked no, so no, hard. Not I'm not chilling. Okay. No, not at all, especially yeah. because of the business side of it. Yeah. Since the business side was was janky. Mm-hmm. The best thing I would say is I really doubled down on mm. wanting to know the business inside and out. And that's why I end up becoming a record. Because that went sideways pretty quickly on the business side yeah, for you, and right? I, and I realized that, you know, if if I had been properly informed, you know, I, I had trusted a lawyer who wasn't the great, I mean, he was a smart lawyer, but he wasn't, you know, he wasn't, he didn't protect his client like he should have. Mm-hmm. And then I had a manager who's also a relatively new manager. So like when I, yeah. in retrospect, I had a great manager. I liked him like as a human being. Yeah. But then I'm like, when you think about it, you can't have two people that are green. You know what I mean? So One has or, to balance or, the other. You're right about that. Or if you yeah. do have two people agreeing, shit like what happened happens. Damn. Because all it was is the information. So when I empowered myself and became a record executive and learned the business inside and out. Yeah. I stopped blaming Lauren, and that's one of the reasons why me and Lauren are cool to this day. We're cool again. Like, you know, we didn't speak for a while, but we got cool again. And the reason is I realized because if I had empowered myself with the information on my own business and my own stuff, no one could take anything from me. Damn, bro. You know what I mean? So you actually owned your part in that, you're saying, in a way, right? Yeah, and the reason is because had I had that information, no one could have taken any publishing yeah. from me or any credit from me or anything. I mean, but to me, that's like, you know, all right, walking down this dark alleyway at 2 a.m., probably not wise, but what about the person that shot you? Can, 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 come on, man. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> they, still, like, they, they still, still shot you, yeah, though, bro. Still like, did, come but, on, bro. But, you know, yeah. but the, the, it's always easiest to blame someone else. Yeah, that's right? that's facts. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, so, so it's good to balance that out a bit. Yeah, yeah for sure. You know, because she was dealing with whatever she was dealing with. There's a reason why yeah. they were trying to take people's publishing or take people's credit. There's, you know, there's reasons to every side of the thing, regardless of that, had I been informed, empowered myself just with the knowledge, yeah. they couldn't have taken not one thing from me. I was never a money hungry guy and you know, I get in situations and people were fighting over splits and this and that. I was like, you know, I was yeah. always easy with it. I'm, I'm not yeah. tripping because I, I had a lot of confidence in myself. You know, it's like, oh, okay, cool. You want to fight over three points on that? All right, cool, Shay. you take it. it, it I'm goes, gonna do it. I'm gonna it, do it again. I'm gonna do it again. I'm gonna do it again. You may be done now. This yeah. might be your last record, but I'm going to do 20 more. So I'm not worried about the three points you're fighting over. That's so I was always, I've always approached that, you know, in different ways. It goes even deeper than that, too. Do you know yeah. this lawyer, Gary Greenberg, who's been mm-hmm. doing it for a while? Yeah. Right. So he's been on. And, and he told me that he was um, working with a production duo that had been making hit records for a while. And it was like X, producer X, and then producer Y. And he said they got this, the whole big fight because producer Y wanted to come first. And they've been doing it this way for eight years. Yeah. And that broke up the whole the whole thing, the whole shit. Ego. So that's just ego, bro. That ain't yeah. even about money. Mm-hmm. You feel me? Yeah. So. And it's it's funny because ego is one of those things in this business, you need ego. But then also the ego could also be your downfall. That's right. You know? so. That's right. There was a point I heard you share about, and you didn't even go to detail into, into it, but I hope you do right now. You said there was a night you had with Dr. Dre, RZA, and Raekwon. You remember oh, yeah, this? Yeah. And you said, bro, and you have a picture have from a picture. that night. And you're like, yo, this was such a fire night. I had to like get the, the, the picture. Yeah. But you didn't talk about what was shared. You just said we talked about life. 
Can you um, share some like a gem or something that came well, out of that night? The first thing I would like to say is shout out to Rizzo because that's my homie, super good dude. But like, he's not only just a music person, mm -hmm. he's a life person, right? Obviously, he got into Kung Fu, but in, in Eastern philosophies and things of that nature. So he's just, and then he's, you know, he's a Muslim and the knowledge itself and, all, and that kind of stuff. Yeah. So he's just this very like centered individual. For sure. And so, and then you have someone like Dre who's so accomplished and Dre has a certain calmness about him. So you got two guys. Mm hmm that have both of them have this certain level of just, you know, calmness. Obviously, Dre's been through what he's been through from NWA to Death oh, he's Row. He's been through a lot, bro. Yeah, yeah, so, you know what I mean? And, and getting to the point that he's gotten yeah. to. Going through all those challenges, I think, give us grace. Yeah. Am I right? You know, like, and, you, you know, know it's, like, this, it's like you... You know, when you, when you survive it, right? After, yeah. you know, that that line, after the, after the storm, here comes the sweet dawn. Mm. You know, so they're, they're both mm. in these, these places yeah. and they're talking. And you're just you're just a part of these conversations that are, it's just you know an amazing night. And I don't have many. I'm not a super picture guy, which um is funny. Quincy told me later in life, he's like document, because he's like you're gonna wish mm. you had, you know, some of these moments. He's right, right. I mean, I worked mm. with Aretha. I don't have a picture from that. I worked with Whitney. I never took a picture. I should have because they're not here today with us, right? You know, I knew Biggie. I should have took a picture. You know, things of that nature because certain people you might think are gonna be around yeah. forever. So I started That's taking true. pictures. Um, later in life, that is one of the time from the time that I worked with Dre, which was about eight years, you know, one of the special moments that I have this picture, amazing. which is in my studio. And that was just, you know, one of those nights. It was just one of those amazing nights of shared exchanges. Just happy to be there and be, you know, in the room. That's beautiful. You know? Have you heard the term shoot or shoot? Yeah. <laughs> so I got a shoot or shoot moment for you. Hans Zimmer, you didn't know nothing about scoring films or anything, nope. and you showed up at this guy's door, right? Yeah, this is kind of one of those things, fake it till you make it kind of moments, where, you know, I had met this director, uh, he did the movie, he did this movie called Slam before that, but the movie I scored, the first one I did was called White Boys, mm -hmm. um, which was on Showtime for a ton, ton. A lot of people saw it on Showtime, which is hilarious to me. Later on, like, Showtime had brought the movie back. Um, it launched careers, a couple of guys, Danny Hawk was in it, um, all these cool actors that are still around today. Long story short, you know, the director met me. He had he heard about some of the music I did. And, you know, he asked me point blank, did I know how to score a movie? And with a straight face, I was like, hell yeah. <laughs> Bro. Had no clue the first. I can remember being in there the brilliant. first day and I had a TV and I had the move the video. I was sitting there like, okay, what's next? Like, I didn't even... Shoot or shoot, let's yeah. go. So I just did it. Yeah. So after doing two and really not knowing what I was doing, I had done some... I had already done some research because I had already collected... Um, scores movie mm -hmm. scores on vinyl mm -hmm. so i and most of those were like you know i was a big fan of mark coney so an eco so most of my scores i would say i was you know were based on like learning about him mm -hmm. and then i started learning more and more about it and more of the contemporary people and obviously one of the most foremost contemporary people especially at that time was like that rising blowing up kind of guys was hans yeah and so i probably had identified maybe three or four composers and Hans was the one I was able to kind of really find. And so I just showed up on his doorstep, <laughs> you know? And I think, you know, honestly, and, you know, I don't, I'd love to say it was just me and my great personality that got through the door. <laughs> I think it was me and my great personality and the fact that I had a Grammy for Album of the Year. So that helped. Yeah, a little, you had a little bit of cred walking yeah, in, right? Yeah, yeah. But, and I think yeah. that, that helped get me the meeting. But mm -hmm. then in the meeting, it was just, I think, you know, we hit it off. And you also spent some time around... Um, Jay-Z. And, and Jay-Z, when you talk about these guys, like you talk about the Rizzas mm -hmm. and the Dre's that have been through the storms. and Yeah. Bro, I got to know Jay-Z better on the Watch the Throne tour. I knew him throughout times our paths across, but I didn't know him like that. And then I would say I got to meet him more on the Watch the Throne tour. And, and you guys had some conversations, obviously, yeah. right? So but that was before the... That was, that was later. That was actually before the start of Workshop. Yeah, he let me have... Um, gave me five one-hour meetings, one-on-one in, in, his, in his living room. Amazing. All right, yeah. so we got we to gotta touch on this. So you know how you, you shared that beautiful gem that, that Quincy gave you about document and all that yeah. stuff? I'm sure Jay-Z left you with a couple of gems. Would you mind blessing the listeners with a couple of gems from a guy um, like Jay-Z? Like, what, what, it wasn't what, like he gave me you? like stuff like that, like not like the Quincy overview right. of life type mm. stuff. He was talking more about specifics. And, mm. you know, I'm obviously getting figuring out what I'm doing with this company and workshop and trying to, you know, kind of, you know, really... He, you know, evolve the idea. Is there something, something. you feel comfortable sharing? Um, just just yeah, a general I mean, thing that he told you about this new company here? Well, I mean, he bit? gave me, honestly, it was more of like, he gave me sort of like, you know, some of the rationale behind starting rock, you know, 
Rock Nation mm-hmm. and, and, and why he did certain things and so on and so forth. But I would say the end of, the, end of the day is I, I would say you're talking about someone with tremendous perspective. You know what I mean? And when you're trying to start a business, it's like, you know, it's one thing. It's one thing to start a business where you're where you're funding it yourself and mm-hmm. you can just do whatever you want, make your own mistakes and do money. And there's another thing when you're taking money from another organization or other organizations. In his case, the funding came from Live Nation. Mm-hmm. In my case, the funding came from, you know, my investors, Dan yeah. Gilbert being my lead investor yeah. and so forth. So we had that parallel. And, 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 and it was more or less about, you know, evolving your idea into the sense that you're building an organization that's fundable. You know what I mean? That, mm. you know, that you can bring on investment because obviously at the end of the day, investors are still, okay, I could put my money in real estate. I could put my money in stocks and bonds, or I could put, you know, my money in crypto. Why am I putting my money in, into this? Mm-hmm. So, you know, mm-hmm. at the end of the day, this is something, you know, hopefully it's a legacy investment that people, because this, this company, the idea behind it is this is something that's here to stay. You know, that's the goal that it's here to stay. It's and the company you're talking about is Workshop. workshop. Yep. It's based in Detroit right now, based in Detroit. right? And it's an artist development company. Yeah, I call right. it a music-based lifestyle music company. Based, okay. Because artist development is just an aspect of it, right? Meaning major labels don't do artist development anymore. Yeah. So that's one of the things we do. But yeah. we do many things. Um, but the point being is it's here. It's set up in Detroit. And it's never going to leave, God willing. Mm-hmm. You know, we have no, there's no plans to go to L.A., New York. That uh, plan is to be here. Yeah. Shout out to my boy Mike, who's yeah. a big Detroit man behind <laughs> the camera right there. All right. Yeah. So, so what I'll say that Detroit versus everybody. <laughs> Detroit versus everybody. You know All right. I mean? But but you're also I, I noticed I was looking at your, your, you you put these inspirational quotes on a whiteboard, right? I saw you did another video, so of course I saw this whiteboard here in this room, and and you talk about culture, right? And obviously culture is really important uh, to you, yeah. right? And, and so what what do you think makes for uh, good culture within a company? Well, I mean, first and foremost, what's the story of the company? Mm-hmm. Like, what are, what are you here for? You know what I mean? Some companies are here, oh, we're just here to make money. You know what I mean? In this case, we're here to make a difference. Mm. You know what I mean? We're here mm-hmm. to not only make a difference, hopefully, and impact, you know, these talented people's lives, but also hopefully make a difference in the community we're in, right? I want to, I want to, there's a philanthropic aspect of what we're doing. You know, I want to do kids because if I think I would, one of the reasons I was attracted to Detroit and, mm-hmm. and wanting to set the company up here because there's principles in the company that I'm taking from Barry Gordy. There's principles that I'm taking from Motown. Mm. I watched the Motown documentary. I'm reading his book. You know, I'm, I've been studying the guy. I've been studying, you know, I've been studying the guy for 10 years. Mm. You know what I mean? So there's a lot. Yeah, obviously, I've, I've fast forwarded it to 2022. But there's a lot that I'm taking from 1958 in his thought process. Mm. In his thought process. M- meaning there's some timeless things, right? Yeah. That still apply yeah. today, even in 2022, which is a whole different landscape, bro, exactly. if you think about it. Yeah. I think some of those things have gotten lost along the way. Technology does that, right? So meaning now these companies can forecast their incomes and things of that nature so they yeah. can find an artist, look at the data and metrics, plug in a formula, a scientific formula, they can calculate and project the income they're going to make and they can invest it that way. I get yeah. it. That's smart business if you're yeah. at a major label. But if you're at a major label, you're playing a different business. Your, your business is market share. Mm-hmm. You know, you could have one new artist a year. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because a lot of your income is catalog and so on and so forth. You're playing a different game. You know, and what we're building, it's designed to invest in these new artists and divine, designed to invest in them early. Mm-hmm. Where I can have the aha moment again where someone could play a song and I get goosebumps. Yeah. And we can invest in it. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I have to, I'm going back to some of those traditional values, if you will, and, and structure and foundation, but also applying the modern business to Love it as well. It. A lot of artists and creatives who tune in. Yeah. And it's like a common theme with them is it's not happening fast enough. Do you, do you, are you with me on this? A lot of it's not happening fast enough. Yeah. Do you have some wisdom to share with those listening who feel like that? Well, you have you to know? have patience. I mean, if you're trying to have immediate gratification, good luck. Mm. You know, um, when you see lightning striking a bottle, that's very rare. Mm-hmm. That's probably as common as you getting struck by lightning. <laughs> so, um, yeah, you'll see artists who have these TikTok moments You'll see these artists have their viral moments. Um, sometimes those artists go up as fat and they come down as fast as they go up. Bingo. Because yeah. sometimes it might be a TikTok moment and people are fans of the song, but yeah. they're not fans of the artist. Yeah. So there's a lot to it. So I do think immediate gratification is a problem with young artists and a lot of young people. And I think, I get it. The internet speeds everything up. Bro, speeds everything that, up. That, that literally rewired the brain to just expect it now. Yep. Yeah. And if you and if you even think about the way they, they release music, yeah. and I'm not even like, you know, you have a lot of older people 
or old heads, especially executives, like, oh, that's not a bad, you know. Mm-hmm. You know what? You, I'm always about listening to the kids. Mm-hmm. So if the kids, they want, they want the consumption, they want, they want a song every month, you got to give it to them. Yeah. Because that's the mark, that's what that's the market where we're demands. At. Yeah. But that doesn't take away quality. <laughs> so when it's quantity over quality, mm-hmm. that's a problem for me. And I think we have a lot of that where it's like, all right, quantity, 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 quantity. But where is the quality control? Shout because out to quality control. <laughs> shout out QC. Yeah, right? shout out P. <laughs> but I think um, Co- Coach K has got great taste in art, as far yeah. as I know too. But he does. side note, <laughs> so, shout so, out Jamie Holmes, who Coach so, K helped find. It shifted like the, when I, I mean I grew up on the golden age of hip hop. Like you had Nas with these amazing lyrics and that that type of stuff. But now I think it's it's never been more about the aesthetic. And 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 what's going on around the music and not the yeah. actual music? Do you feel me on that a little bit? Yeah. It's like, it's, well, I mean, it's, there's, there's some of everything, right? But I do want, but I I'm curious about, you know, even in the younger generations, and I would say they're not the current, right? Like, because they're 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 actually becoming veterans now, or you know, they're on their whatever fourth, fifth album, meaning yeah. the Kendricks, the J. Coles, and da da. Who are the who who are the next ones in that taking that mantle of the of the superstars now? Meaning. You could say Drake is a superstar of of the newest generation. I mean, not Drake, because um, Drake's of the previous one. I yeah. meant, um, I meant, well, it's my man from Chicago, um, Dirk. Oh, like, Dirk, sure, Dirk, yeah, yeah. Dirk. Dirk is one of the superstars. Sure. You could say NBA Youngboy's one of the superstars. Little baby, right? Little baby for sure, right? So, but one each one of those wouldn't yeah. fall under. They don't fall under the category of the Kendricks, of the J. Coles. Or even of the Drakes, even to me. Yeah. So I think those guys are spitters, kind yeah. of. These guys that you reference. They're, yeah. They're, I mean, they're they're they can rap, yeah, but you know. But they're not. You know yeah. exactly. They they represent a different thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um. So with that said, who's in? I mean, maybe Corday is one that could ascend to that. Mm-hmm. I, he's on the path potentially to say. I don't know. We'll see. Mm-hmm. Is it JID? Is it Corday? Is it? You know what I mean? Is this this new kid Simba who's, mm-hmm. who's showing to be one of the biggest mm-hmm. spitters? You know. Yeah. So. I saw him in a showcase perform in front of 10 people at one point, yeah. like, you know, 10 years ago or something. So you know, that, that's but, exciting to me because yeah. there is an opportunity. And I and, and I always think that when something goes one way, when like, you know, okay, trap music dominates, right? And yeah. everyone is hating on trap and, you know. Mumble you got, rap, they called yeah, it, right? Rap, yeah, 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 right. Mumble rap, yeah. thug, whatever, future. Mm-hmm. Then it's great to me. Like, I'm not one of those who are, who's a hater on it because it's like, all right, come with something different. Mm-hmm. That, you know, that gets people's attention. Yeah. And then, you know, that's how you balance it out. You can't just, to me, be mad. You know, if this is what people are consuming and this is what they like, then you have to come with something just as good to give them an alternative. For sure. And let's just keep it with the artist for a second. I just feel like whoever you are, embrace your uniqueness to the fullest, right? Because that's what people buy into. Well, you know, in the area I came up in, you know, I, you know, Identity was everything, meaning your uniqueness. Yeah. Redundancy was was not applauded. You that, couldn't win you if couldn't you were win. redundant, you were right? Redundant. You know what they, I mean? Yeah. They they shut you down yeah. quick. So in this day and age, it's almost like redundancy for sure. is the thing. For sure. So well hopefully said. we get back to because I'm always preaching identity. You mm-hmm. know, the artists I'm looking at, they have to have a sense of the self. They have to have yeah. they really have to have they have to know who they are. I'm not here to tell you for sure. who you are. An artist is really in big trouble if they have to go to the label and, and get fed what their identity yeah. is, right? That's pretty much the kiss of death. Exactly. But, or, or a lot of labels you know. try to alter your identity, right? Because they think that'll help you sell records in a way. And that's when it's like, well, who you who are you? Are you a person that's going to stand up for yourself and who you are? Yeah. Or are you one of the people that's going to, oh, okay, so you want me to... Tap dance, even though I don't tap dance. Okay, now just, I'm just cut now the I'm check. Yeah, now I'm, <laughs> I'm down tapping. Oh, now you want me to break dance because now I need to break dance. You know, what I mean, now you know, let me break dance. So you know, you worked around, you worked with a lot of really big people. We talked about you know Dre, Kanye, Hans, all that. Uh, these are they have very different, like sonically. Everybody I just mentioned are quite different to me, yeah. right? But what I was learned the, from everyone? There you go. Yeah. And, and I'm I'm going to ask you, what would you say is a through line if there if there was a through line uh, with these people? Well. I've I've said this many times. Um, I had never witnessed the you know the attention to detail of a Dr. Dre. One of the most impressive specimens of a human when it comes to work, precision and detail, and just attention to detail. I'd never witnessed that before. Mm-hmm. You know, when mm-hmm. by the time I started working with Dre, mm-hmm. I was pretty accomplished. At least I thought. Yeah, and then when I realize, and then you just realize, that's when you realize, wow, there's just oh, levels. Sure. There's levels to this shit, levels right? Shit. Okay, got and I was you. like, whoa, <laughs> whoa. So you know, like you talk about something, yeah, yeah. So that I never, 
Hans was different because obviously I wasn't a composer and I'm not a classically trained composer. And in my opinion, I had met people in that organization and other mm-hmm. composers, even mm-hmm. like one of them who's who's often like he's one of the top guys in the game today, mm-hmm. who are probably more talented than Hans in terms of as, as a musician. Mm-hmm. But I realized that Hans had mastered the art of like working and communicating with a director mm-hmm. and being able to give that director the security of, I'm going to make a score that is going to make your movie sound amazing and mm. giving them that trust. And part of it was, yes, I'm Hans and I am the brand and I am this name and I have these talented people around me who support what I'm doing. But just that relationship between, because that's, when it comes to a score, you know, these guys have, especially the type of movies he does, you know, 50, 100 million, 200 million dollar budget yeah. blockbusters. These guys... As, as much as they're directors and they're really great at their craft, mm-hmm. they're scared to death. They don't want anybody to fuck up their movie. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. When, you, when you go to a Hans, you're going to a guy because you're like, you're like I know it's going to be good. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. Hans, and then I would say the other thing I learned about Hans on the more technical side is his use of technology. Yeah. They were so forward, they were so far in advance in the future Damn. in terms of like, you know, what we were doing in the music side of things, especially on the urban music side of things. Mm-hmm. You know, we had to catch up. So I learned so much about technology and like, you know, how to really incorporate technology in the process. You know, Super I, mean, I even brought a lot of what I brought over with me when I started working with Dre. I brought that with me. Yeah. So then Dre incorporated it in, yeah. into what his thing. So I definitely helped elevate what he was doing or move him into the future because he worked in a very specific way, mm-hmm. NPCs and MIDI and so on and so forth. And I was the first one to bring the computers in the room with Dre. Dope. Yeah. And then finish up with Ye, the one thing you noticed about Ye, I guess? Well, Ye, Ye was the first time, you know, it's like 20 people working on the same song. You know, I mean, you You haven't seen that before, yeah, right? Because yeah, obviously, you know, I worked with a team with Dre, but it would be, yeah. you know, it's one team in one room. You know, with, with Ye, it might be 20 people in different, you know, all, whatever, in different rooms and different places, whatever, mm-hmm. all working on the same song. And then you see this mastermind behind it. Like, okay, let me get this bass line from Mike Dean, but let me get the drums from No ID, or let me get, you know what I mean? I get the chop, maybe yay, chop the chops. And, you know, I might've got this vocal piece from the dream and and just assembling this masterpiece, you know what I mean? And you realize there's this, yeah, is it is it somewhat of a mad genius type of thing? Yeah, it is. But there's this some brilliance there too. For sure. And obviously, you know, his history as a producer, so you know he can do it himself. But why, you know, but if you think about the best things in the world in terms of like the way Quincy worked, he didn't do it himself. Mm-hmm. He brought in the best people at every position. So that, that to me really helped reinforce like kind of how I was evolving, how I worked. And you started to kind of adopt that as your own. Like, didn't you kind of do that on the Mercy record? Yeah. Like, yay, didn't believe in the Mercy record. So, like, I'll show you or something. Yeah, so I had this record. I met this kid named Lifted. Um, mm-hmm. for, shout out to um, my boy Rock, Rock Adala from um, Phoenix. Rock Adala is kind of like the master P of Phoenix. And so he had this young producer named Lifted that worked with him. Lifted played me this track. It had the, it was the, the raw beat of of Mercy, and it had the Lamborghini Mercy part. And I just knew it was something special. Like, this kid had only been, you know, I would say Lifted was like one of those guys who was producing a lot of local artists and this and that. I don't even think he ever had a major placement or anything like that. So I took this track. I knew it was something. And I had probably walked around with it probably for about a good seven months until I found the right home for it because I knew it was something. And then, obviously, yeah, we we put it through the process, meaning I do what I do to a record. Ye did what he does, what he does to a record. And the, you know, end result, was Mercy, my whole, but I told Ye, because Ye wasn't on the record at first, I told Ye, we're going to make this record so hot that you're going to have to get on it. And then, of course, the rest is history, he's on it. But, you know, I had the idea, I was like, you know, he already had, obviously, on, on the label, he had Sean and, and Pusher. So I was yeah. like, cool, let me put, and then 2 Chains was hot. And I lo- I was a big fan of 2 Chains, so I reached out to 2 Chains, I got him, got all three of them on the record. We produced the record up, you know, I think Ye got Mike Will to add some drums on it. He also... Ye works with this guy named Twilight Tone. Mm-hmm. Twilight Tone's the one who added the reggae sample. Damn. I did, you know, in terms of producing it and getting the record right and all that. And then, you know, rest is history. And then Mike Dean played the part on, Ye, on Ye's verse. Okay. But, you know, and then, you know, shit, when it's all said and done, I mean, maybe 10 different people touched that record to get, you know, to get it where it was. And that record was everywhere, bro. That was, <laughs> bring, bring it in. That was, yeah. that was good work on that. And then we premiered it with Flex. Yeah. And Flex so- played it like, you know, it's crazy. 20 times. Yeah, of course. <laughs> but it's like, that can also go the other way. I feel like, wait, like now I hear a lot of um, 
I mean, whether it's like, I just know a lot of people on the business side, obviously, and they talk about it's getting out of hand. You can have 20 writers in a room. The publishing gets split up. That, you know, what about when it goes like the, well, the, the underbelly it, of that, you know? Yeah, I don't, like, I mean, that's to each his own. I mean, you know, like sort of in terms of like a Khaled record or something. You yeah. Know I mean, I don't knock what Khaled does. I don't think like when Khaled and like Tyler were like bumping heads for a minute or whatever. Yeah. It, that to me, that's not even a fair comparison because what Tyler does, mm-hmm. Khaled can never do what Tyler does. And vice versa. Yeah, you know they're just saying? different. You know, yeah, different, different things, yeah, right? You know what yeah. I mean? So different skill sets and talent. For sure. I wouldn't compare. You know, Khaled would call himself a hit maker. You know, I come. I'm. I'm. You know, I. I I'm from the craft. Of mm-hmm. it. So two different. You know. So I would say, Khaled, you're over here. <laughs> you know, I over here because yeah. just because of my approach to the craft. For sure. But I don't knock what he does because he his whole thing is all star records, right? Let me. You're get, right. Let me get my talent is that I can get these five people on a record or 16 whatever yeah. <laughs> i know how to you bring know, these yeah. you know and, and but it, it works it you're works saying for, so for it's him, like yeah, yeah. You know, so to right. each his own yeah um i don't you know i don't knock it i think it's just you know however someone figures out a way to work i mean if you think about these max martin records yeah max is a tremendous talent but max has a team of people yeah you know what i mean dr luke has a team of people for you sure know i mean it was dr luke my good guitar player but then it was you know benny blanco's was making the shit sound cool. Yeah, it was yeah. you know Bonnie writing the you know the songs. Yeah, you know so it's a it's a it's a team. Not yeah, everybody's yeah. fucking yeah. you know Jeff Basker. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know so if you're not Jeff Basker, maybe you need four other people. A lot of writers have success in the writing world and then go try and do the artist thing. And I think nine out of ten times they're unable to do it. Why, why is that in your opinion? Like I've always wondered that. Well, I think a lot of times you know? writers just. Were always artists or wanted to be artists, right? Yeah, they, they, they just their path to success was was um, you know. Pro- I mean, honestly, but would you agree it's pretty hard, generally speaking? Yeah, I mean, for think that, about and, it. And, Kanye's yeah. one yeah. of those people, right? He, yeah. he came in as a producer, mm-hmm. and then before he got on as an artist, exactly. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of people. I mean, and I've had I've dealt with that personally in my career. I've I've worked with people that I thought they were much more of a talented writer than an artist, and I've done deals with them, and then they ended up trying to do the artist thing, and it kind of even messed up. That you know the thing we had started on because they yeah. they focused on the artist thing and they were you know and and not to say it's not my place to ever tell someone they can't you don't want to do that my, yeah hey, I just have my own opinion <laughs> yeah. and you know but they, you know I would never stop anyone from chasing whatever they wanted to do no but the results speak for themselves I mean we could look at yeah. the, we could look yeah exactly mm-hmm. so but that's just a part of the nature of the game because yeah. I think everybody. Wants to try, you know, they hand it all kind of things. And, you know. For sure. You're creative mm-hmm. and you're also on the business side. Yeah. Okay. So I feel like that, isn't it hard to sort of wear these multiple hats Ex- and stuff like that? Extremely. I think there are people that can balance it and do a really good job at it. I would say I'm a person who's learning to do it. Okay. Um, Any so, words of wisdom, though, for the listeners who might find themselves being adept, you know, at both, or um, gifted with both? Well, I, I always think if you're an artist, you have to learn some business because you're the CEO of your, you know, if the artist is Carl, true. you're CEO of Carl Inc. You know what I mean? So, you know, if you have a manager, that manager works for you. If you have a lawyer, that lawyer works for you. Mm-hmm. So I definitely think an artist has to know their business. You know, I'm a very big proponent of educating yourself into the business. Don't trust, just blindly trust a manager. I.e. what happened to you on the Lauren record. Yeah, right. So I would say I knew how to be a music executive, but it's different being a founder and CEO because now, you know, that was a whole new skill set to learn how to fund a company, to pitch, you know, pitch investors and things that have to answer. So it took three years. It was a Mm. journey and an education, learning every day, still learning, Mm -hmm. you know, still learning, Going back to the company culture you, you were talking about, you know, that's still learning, you know, still learning. And it's, I, I want to create this harmonious community sort of feeling. And part of that way is like letting everybody be heard, letting everybody sharing their ideas. And I already had a, I already had a lesson in that where I had somebody who we parted ways with, hmm. who one of her, when she, when, when we, we talked and before we parted ways, one of her gripes was I'm not being heard. Now, in actuality, she was being heard, but I could have done a better, I could have better done better job as a CEO, letting her know she was heard, mm-hmm. whether we didn't move with the idea or not. But I still needed to communicate back that she had been heard. It's a learning journey completely. So I would say learning how to, to balance because I'm just getting back to producing. I would say I had, I've been, I took two years off of producing Damn. just to really learn how to be a good ass CEO. 
Okay. You know, might have to go a little here, a little there. You yeah. know what I'm saying? It's like cooking on a stove, right? Yep, just getting back to yeah. production, which is actually yeah. good when you know, when I'm someone who's been you know producing for 25 straight years. I would say in the Kanye years too, I was able to sort of take a little bit of a break. I produced here and there, yeah, but I I had to manage so many creatives in terms of you know whether that's why I ended up you know I executive produced two projects. I executive produced Yeezy. I executive produced um, um, Crew Crew Summer. Um, and those were to more, to me more of like managing all these talents and mm. so forth. And that was mm. a great thing too, because mm-hmm. it was so uh, many people and so challenging and how to, you know, work on disputes because at the end of the day, yeah, you still got a product to deliver that. I guess you could say that was almost a great practice or warm up for workshop. You know what I mean? Isn't, a li- isn't life like that yeah. though? You know, this chapter leads to mm-hmm. that chapter. It always, yeah. you know, but I want to get back to that. Like, you know, with Dre years, we produced every day. You know, we're just on it every day. So I want to get back to that level of production. Maybe I'll never get back to that output. Yeah. But like just a daily, because I think it's like shooting in the gym with basketball. Like, you know, you still got to go put your shots up. <laughs> Period. Yeah. You got to stay sharp. Yeah. You did spend about six or seven years. Seven and a half. Seven, okay. And you're like, that is the longest run of working with God. Yeah, so you said another, another interview. Yeah. yeah. A lot of people yeah. would come and go. Yeah. Like, you know, I think G. Robeson's back working with him. G's probably worked with him. I don't know, five, ten different times. Okay. Where he's left for a while, come back. So a lot of people do that. I would say on, on kind of the straight through, I'm definitely one of the longest that was. Y- your your jersey's in the rafters, Chad. Yeah, one of them. I like to think that, you know. So so that's a lot of years, and I just want to say you had a lot of a lot of moments. Is there a, a powerful moment or something? What, what's the what's one of the more standout moments that you had with with Ye on this journey? I was fortunate to have a lot of time with him where it might be me and him in a car, me and him in his apartment or at his house, just one-on-one. So whether we're traveling somewhere, you know, I've, I've traveled with him, you know, where it's sometimes maybe just me, him, or me, him, and someone else. So I've had, I mean, this times where just me and him went to the movies, just me and him. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> so regular, regular movie. Right. People, they literally, where people were like, oh shit, is that time to work? And they'd be like, no security, nothing, no security. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. right, so right, right. I've had, so- I've been fortunate in my time with him to have, intimate moments without, you know, obviously sometimes, you know, depending on who's in the room, it depends on what Kanye you get. You know what I mean? <laughs> that so was good. Yeah. I've had mm-hmm. those times where it's just Kanye, yeah. you know, where it's just yay, me and yay. And, you know, we've had great conversation, whether it's ideas or we're talking about music or we're talking about ideas for the future or different things. Yeah. You know what I mean? I've had those moments. So those are moments I'll always, you know, hold on to. For sure. They, they, they still inform me. It's how I think about the company. Like Kanye, when he's doing an album, you know, he'll have he'll have boards in the, in the he'll have boards all over the studio where it might be, oh, these are the merch ideas, these are the stage ideas. It's mm. all it becomes he creates a world for that project because he has all this influence and all these inspirations and all these creatives that he works with. So why not not approach every artist like that? You know what I mean? Like, yeah, they may not have a Kanye budget, but that doesn't mean you can't have the mindset to think like that. Because Kanye didn't always have a Kanye budget. Totally. You know, but yeah. he still thought like that, yeah. as evident by the genius, you know, documentary. For those who need a glimpse, there's your glimpse. Dre always thought like that. Dre always thought, you know, world building in a different way. You know what I mean? If you think about how Jimmy started Interscope, you know what I mean? Most guys would have just said, oh, okay, I'm signing, this. you know, this is popular, I'm going to sign this. I mean, Jimmy signed, you know, did a deal with Dre over here and then did a deal with Trent Reznor over here. Yep. So that's Gwen Stefani over Gwen there, Stefani you know what I here. mean? Yeah. So that's yeah. somebody already got a vision, right? Hmm. And there's some fearlessness to that too, because hmm. you would never think the person who signed Trent Reznor yeah. could also break Dr. Dre. Well said. You know what I mean? Or vice versa. You know what I mean? So there's no hmm. limits to what we'll sign. For sure. And you yeah. said visionary. One of my favorite quotes is um, leaders are visionaries with a poorly developed sense of fear that make the impossible happen. Yeah. That's real shit. You, know what you, I mean? you can't be afraid, though. And just and, like the same thing. And, Ideas without execution are fantasies. That's it. You know, it, it becomes the same thing. So you got to be fearless. You got to be able to take risks. And typically, man, I'm sure you agree, but the risk is often in, 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 in proportion to the the reward is often in proportion yeah. to the risk. Do you agree? Mm-hmm. So the bigger the risk, sometimes the bigger the reward. You know, just that's how it goes. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Eminem. Even though you had this talented Marshall guy, you still had to figure out how to break him. Yeah. You knew there was something there. For sure. And how to break him was, ooh, Dr. Dre. Yeah. You know See, that's what I'm saying. He needed he Dre. Was, he needed Dre because you know? he was signed to the Bass Brothers. And the Bass Brothers, were, you know, no disrespect to them. And they, they did a great job with him. 
but they weren't going to, that and, wasn't going to work. And right they're coming right. off of vanilla ice. The public is coming off of vanilla ice yeah. now, right? So, so like, it you're not, you yeah. know, so yeah. Jimmy being Jimmy. Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? And, and, and Kanye, bro, Kanye, you know, 3H and all that, like, yeah. it almost brought him to capital. Yeah. Like, I don't think Kanye yeah, would H, end up being know, Kanye without. Still like, you know, one, a good friend of mine. Yeah. You know, we still but, talk. You but know, isn't that isn't that right? He tried to bring thing. up capital, yeah, yeah, and yeah. if capital would have signed, yeah, we never, would have a whole different. It may have never been what it is. You know what I mean? What if it didn't come through the Dame Dash cosign, I think that's a great message for the listeners. Sometimes when you think something's not working out for you, hey, on the contrary, that shit could be working out for you. Yeah, right there. You know, but you have to have faith, and you just have to. I mean, part of what we do is, if you're a creative, you have to believe. You have to be a believer anyway, which is partially also being delusional. It's true, so, but yeah. that's the only way you win. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. yeah. Chad, this has been lovely, bro. It's a pleasure, man. Yeah. I appreciate it. This is a great you. conversation. Likewise, man. Got Likewise. Some, some of the, we know, covered a lot, right? Yeah, I told you we did a short We got into time some of the that. nuances, <laughs> which is great. I always love an interview that goes a little under the... Deeper, bro. Yeah. That's what we do. Connection yeah. is magic. You can't connect unless you go deeper. Yeah. Fact. Definitely. So how do how do people um, you know keep up with you if you want to you care know, to care Everything is workshop.club. So if you're on... Workshop with no vowels, so just W-R-K-S-H-P. Dot club is the website and then w and then workshop club on on instagram is the ig pretty active yeah it, right? we're active okay, everything's cool, active cool. so right. you know what i mean info at workshop.club to to get at us directly so you know we're we're here we're at set up shop right here in detroit you know and, and i'm here like i'm literally here you got your foot on the gas pedal bro i love it yeah. i love it all, all right, right. thank you it. again Definitely, man. man all right awesome cool. thanks guys for tuning in we'll see you next episode peace Bye. Thank you so much again for tuning in to today's episode. It really means the world to me. If you heard anything relatable that created new awareness for you, please visit our podcast on iTunes and leave a rating or review. This helps build our audience. Please comment, like, and share this episode out with your family, friends, coworkers, or anyone who you feel would benefit from the messages shared in today's episode. I'm really, really grateful for your help in spreading these messages of hope and wisdom. The world is in such great need right now, and your support helps carry the message onward to others who need it. Also, please consider becoming a monthly financial contributor to the podcast. You can do so by visiting connectionismagic.com and clicking on the Patreon link. Patreon is a third-party platform which helps support creators in exchange for exclusive content and offers. You'll be able to get discounted merchandise like comfy hoodies, t-shirts, as well as retreat discounts where we'll have special guest speakers and group activities to connect you with like-minded community members. Again, thank you so much for tuning in, and until next time, please stay connected.